0: Afternoon everyone. Welcome to day 14 of Black History Boot Camp. It's your girl, one of your conductors for today, Vanessa, walking and talking in Washington, D.C. Are you there, Morgan? What kind of Roomba? <laughs> Look, it was good. I've been in, I have been in this for like days, Morgan. That was, I have learned so much. That was Toto Basante. Many people consider her the Graham Dane of her Haitian culture. She was a singer and an actress, and she was an outspoken activist and advocate who at one point felt she was exiled from the country because of her outspoken views. And that's a song by her called Day. And her daughters, by the way, who I learned um, are living in Brooklyn, I think even right now, just held like a celebration to like honor her legacy. So no, I've been learning. I've been learning about the Haitian culture. Listen, Look, I came I, I ain't like, coming on with no
1: white John. I ain't gonna start with no white I had to do some research. No, you would get kicked out of the whole Haitian community for that. But uh, shout out to Lauren Hill. But that was shady. How did I start off shady? but stop running for president, white I'm sorry. Okay, back up. I was not gonna go for a walk, Vanessa. But I'm not trying to bring you. Not know, gonna talk about hey, I'm bringing back interviews You, to ain't. By you <laughs> ain't. You <laughs> ain't Morgan. Look. <laughs> <laughs> I, saying, I came on. It was a
0: whole room, but I was like, okay, I did, I was not prepared, but I'm prepared. You weren't right? prepared. Oh, no. You weren't prepared. And we only have oh, six lessons left, by I'm the ready. way, everyone. I just I'm feeling like nostalgic already, and we're just like kind of wrapping up this journey, so. This is going to be Listen, a good It started slow. The Acts of Resistance
1: edition started slow for me. I was like, this ain't as good as the Four Mothers edition. But by the time we got to like five or six, I was like, this is toe to toe with Four Mothers, but it's intense. So I might have to go back and do Four Mothers in September. <laughs> so
0: yeah. I think we hit our stride by like episode three. Because really, we started with Harriet on the Kambahai, and because we already have so much knowledge about her, I think, and I was even leading it, I, I think probably I didn't even give enough background on that episode for people who wanted to start at the beginning. Then we went into James Baldwin, which was the second episode, I think. And I actually even think there, people probably wanted a little bit more normal James Baldwin kind of, but I can't remember by who the third person was, but I feel like we, we kind of course corrected pretty quickly, Hopefully. Yeah.
1: No, it's good. It's good now. That's what I'm saying. I'm good. I'm, I'm into it. It is. So, okay. It is. Come,
0: come okay. I got revolution. So, Morgan, first of all, y'all, we were going to do the Haitian Revolution maybe like a couple days ago, but even Morgan understood. She was like, you need another couple days on this one, don't you? So
2: thank you, Morgan,
0: uh, for because there's a lot of information to cover. And one of the things that has stuck with me is like, Every Haitian person I know, Morgan, is so fierce, so humble, and so proud that I'm just like, Vanessa. I especially don't want to do them wrong on this conversation. Vanessa. So for everybody out there, I go to Haiti every single
1: year. I love Haiti. I serve on a the board there of this amazing woman named Jean Paul, who's doing something called Teach for America in Haitian Creole. Check the email. Anse-po-IT. It's Anse Poitie. And she's revolutionizing education. She is Haitian, born to all the best universities, Harvard, Yale, whatever, came back and is revolutionizing education. So I go every single year, sometimes multiple times a year. And when I tell you Haitian people don't be playing, they church socks be extra white with the lace on it.
0: I'm saying don't mess up their history. That's all I'm saying. I will not. I will not. I will not mess it up. And everyone should know that we um, there is a speech by Najing Paul, um, who's the head of Anse Pueh, in today's email. She literally is revolutionizing Haitian education. And we'll even talk a little bit more about that later, Morgan, in the conversation. But actually, for today's centering and for this walking meditation, as I have been diving into the Haitian revolution over the last couple of days, I knew kind of like the highlights and I knew about Toussaint and I knew that, you know, the Haitians, the enslaved people rebelled and they were like this black country, the first black republic. But I always only knew it kind of from the lens of like Toussaint and how these men came and led this revolution. But I had no idea that it was actually a Haitian woman who was really at the center of the Haitian revolution starting. And her name was Cécile Fatiman. And she was at the center of it because she was a spiritual warrior, Morgan. So once I actually oriented myself to like, oh, this is a story that can be told from the from the true source, by the way, which was what Cécile did on a hot August night, which we're going to talk about in a second, and the spirituality of it that I love for this conversation because, and I'm prepping y'all to pay attention during the notes we are the daughters of spiritual warriors. I want to, we can conjure up our own revolution. We can manifest. I, Morgan, I like, when I tell you one day, like, I'm gonna have a real testimony, public testimony. When I tell you, I feel there is hardly a day I wake up where I don't feel like I actually literally manifested every detail of my actual physical environment and personal environment. So I know that these no, and
1: I was at dinner last night with these uh, with three of my dear friends. They all happen to be guys but three dear friends. And one of them I went to Howard with and he moved back to way before me and he has a construction company. And he was saying, well, I make everyone who works for my construction company to tell me what their life looks like in six months, in one year, in two years and then in five years. In that order, he yeah. said, because if you can talk about your life with precision, it will always come true for you. If you say you're gonna have a car with yellow square wheels, you are gonna have a car. You know what I mean? He was like, I believe yeah. in the power of manifesting. So I was like, well, where are you gonna be in five years? And he told me he was like, I'm gonna be this. I'm gonna be in the uh, you know household name with companies, blah 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 blah. And I woke up this morning and I said, dear Patrick, in five years this is where I'm going to be. And with precision, Vanessa, with my personal life, yeah. with my professional life, with my health, with, with my relationships, I named it because I believe in that. I believe in word yeah. sound power. I believe in the power of your tongue. So y'all start to manifest and create your life for yourself. Cause you are yeah. the daughters of magicians and conjurers and women who made a way out of no way and prayed up some stuff. That's all I'm saying.
0: Morgan, I'm going to do a little story time. This story is so complicated and it's so interconnected to colonialism across the globe, not just in the Caribbean, that I really actually want to take the time to set the scene so that people understand before we even get into Cecile and the revolution. So what you need to know is that we are talking about the second largest island um, in the West Indies, and it's currently divided into what we know as the country of Haiti and the country of the Dominican Republic. The Spanish Led by your boy, Christopher Columbus, in 1492, came up the island, not discovered the island, which had a strong indigenous population, by the way, at the time of Teano people, some other indigenous people on the island. But Christopher Columbus, in December of 1492, came upon the island, and the Spanish forced gold mining onto the people there. And the people there became, started to become devastated by European disease and the brutal working conditions in the gold mines. And by the end of the 16th century, now Christopher Columbus arrived in what he would title to be Hispaniola, um, which is now currently the island of Haiti and Dominican Republic in 1492. But by the end of the 17th century, Morgan, the population had virtually vanished. That's how brutal the conditions were. And that's how much disease and discord the Spanish people brought to the island. After the gold mines ended up being exhausted, Spain then succeeded the island to France. France then, and y'all, this whole conversation, my French is really trash. <laughs> France then decided to call Hispaniola the island of Saint. Dominique, Mar- Morgan, and France then established their own permanent settlement and took con- settlement and took control of the area. by seventeen eighty nine, what was also happening in the country is this was the eve of the French Revolution, And so over time, after Spain, had ceded power and France had taken over at the end of the 16th century. Between the end of the 16th century and 1789, France had grown their now French colony to include more than 500,000 African slaves. And there were only 32,000 European colonists on the island with those 500,000 African slaves. And then there were also around 24,000, what people would call free mulattoes. And of course, in true colonial style, the French raised up as much conflict as they could, especially between the what they called the Afranche, and Lord have mercy again, and the free mulattoes and the Africans, right, to like stir up trouble. So this was happening on this island at the same time, Morgan, that the French Revolution was breaking out and was happening. And there were three major things. So there was this Age of Enlightenment, which preceded, by the way, the French Revolution. And the Age of Enlightenment, which really is like the great-grandfather of liberalism, even in the United States, was like a movement that was about we can pursue knowledge and human and humanist ideologies and reform. And as part of this movement, people now, really did. No, that's if you ever saw that... Um... You already saw that John Adams
1: movie miniseries that was on HBO? That's when Benjamin Franklin was over to France and he was, well, all the women they had on makeup, they was living it up. <laughs> That's what y'all doing. Right. Y'all got too much enlightenment happening right now. It was very salacious.
0: <laughs> right. So right. the age of enlightenment was happening. And as part of that, there was a conversation, especially in France, around holding slaves, what it meant for them to have slaves, if slavery was moral or not moral. But keep in mind, over on the island of Haiti, they were enforcing literally what was considered to be some of the most brutal chattel slavery ever seen across the diaspora. And the conditions upon which they were producing sugar on the island, it was brutal. So while they're having these enlightened yeah. conversations with makeup and and everything, that this was really happening, and it was and brutal Wig. slavery. Yes, yeah, and it was One brutal of two, slavery. Th- two,
1: things to know, two things to know then is... Um, is one, I mean, all of the Caribbean were kind of breaking grounds where they broke enslaved Africans before they brought them to America. So a- almost yes. all of the Caribbean islands were more brutal because they were intended to break people. And then one tactical yes. mistake that the colonizers made in, in Haiti, one time I went to Haiti and they was like, oh, you look like you're from the north part of Haiti. I was like, what you talking about? I was like, and they was like, you big. <laughs> you tall. And I was like, okay. <laughs> was that the tactical error is that kept too many Africans from the same tribe, same countries together in the same region so we could keep the same length. So my actual tribe from Ghana was then transported to the northern part of haiti so when you drive to the country of haiti you can see africa people say that haiti looks more like africa than africa because it because they were liberated way before the the colonized countries in africa so it has some of the like more traditional like actual even agriculture 'cause agriculture because people were transported there and kept their culture intact a little bit more so it was a tactical yeah. era and by the fact they
3: said. Yeah, and in fact, they
0: said that more than 50% of the 500, the half million um, Black people who were there actually maintained their tribal language and connection um, and worship practices, which we are going to get into heavy in just a second. So yes, Morgan, that all was to be true. So the Age of Enlightenment, the French Revolution, and also here over in these United States of America, these colonies that we had going on here, it was also a bunch of stuff popping off. Have you heard of the Louisiana Purchase? Right. So at the same time, like France, Spain, Lord have mercy. When I tell you that when the black and brown people of this world like raise up and unite, Morgan. So in 1802, the United States, Morgan, had found out that Spain had secretly ceded the Louisiana territory, which of course now has New Orleans and everything in it, to France. And that alarmed President Thomas Jefferson. And he wrote a bunch of stuff and he was like, look, We can't give up New Orleans, especially, which produces like three eighths of the territory and all this stuff. So he was like really concerned. So all of this was going on. We have to just keep in mind the Louisiana Purchase, the French Revolution, the Age of Enlightenment and all of these and all of the internal conflict that was happening on the island, Morgan, between the black people who were enslaved, the mulattoes and the slave owners all fueled by colonization all fueled by the way by the fact which we need to explain right now when we're talking about france and there's an article that i put in the email of the case for reparations the wealth that france had now so this island morgan and the brutal slavery that it was holding was producing like two-thirds of all france's trade and wealth were coming directly from haiti I was, you know, I was in, I've was i been in Paris a couple of times, but the last time I was there when I went to Versailles, I was just like, I can't even like, with like moral anything, even like walk around or even enjoy, like I don't even understand, like they should just shut it down, sell off all the stuff and re-give it back to Haiti in terms of dollars, like I just couldn't even understand it.
1: When I was doing Thomas Sankara's thing, I was like, listen, stop going to Paris on vacation, <laughs> it's like... The colonizers stole so much from us. Like, let's stop giving back to them. Come to Sierra Leone. Come to Liberia. Come to Ghana. Come to Nigeria. And have
0: your parish there. That's all I'm saying. Although we did, Jewel and I met a whole bunch of dope Africans in Paris on the last trip. And I was like, there's like, you know, we're here now, just like we're here in America. <laughs> like,
2: come on over, come on over. Like, we're here
0: now. We, we got you, Black folks, all over. The world. We like shit. I'm in Alabama now. And I, I do want to go back to Ghana, but I'm in Alabama now. So, yeah. <laughs> Fine. Good point. Good point. So, Morgan, France also at the time, by the way, and this is important to what you were saying about slavery in America, Americas, this also. They had the largest slave export also and transport going on in the island. So all of this was going on, but Morgan Dixon, Morgan Dixon, we are the daughters of Cecile. And I am going to tell you about a night, August 21st, 1791, when this woman and 200 other slaves gathered and they literally conjured a revolution that created Haiti. So here's how it went down, Morgan. Feel the energy of August, y'all. August 21st, 1791, over 200 slave representatives from all over a part of the St. Is- Dominique Island that is now called Haiti, which is in the northern plains. And especially in an area surrounding Cape Francis and Morgan, which you maybe have gone to. So they gathered on something, and this is called the Bois Commains. And it is near Morn Rouge. And they gathered there, led by two powerful people who really, um, and he, Duty Bookman, who is a Haitian, like real god. He, he really needs his own um, episode, Morgan. I know you know that. So, Duty Bookman was a Jamaican born voodoo priest. And he was there along with Cecile. Duty Bookman, they said, had a hatred, unsurprisingly for white people and the way they were brutally treating people. And he later was killed, but he was able to like really rise up. So he was a voodoo priest and he was there along with Cecile. They were there that night along with 200 people for two reasons. Part of it was strategic planning. They were planning a revolt, Morgan. And strategic planning is like, this is going to go down. This is going to go down. This is how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to do, right? But they were there also and most importantly for a religious ritual ceremony. The ceremony which Camille helped to preside over as a priestess. Camille was part of the Maroons, Morgan, and I. And maybe you know this, some of the people in Haiti had already started to revolt long before this organized kind of insurgence. Those people started to live along the periphery in Haiti, and they were called the Maroons, and they lived a self-sufficient life in their communities. Cecile Fatiman, who was the daughter of an African slave woman and a white Frenchman from Corsica, who her and her mother, never mind her white father from Crostica, who even a lot of people said was a prince, they were sold as slaves in St. Dominique. And Fatiman, who then became a, a maroon person, presided over the ceremony, Morgan, at Bois Kamein, in the role of Mambo. And together with priest duty Buchman Morgan, They literally led a ceremony that conjured up a vision that encouraged them to lead a insurrection against their French colonizers. And Buchmann was a key leader of that result, of that conversation. And then he actually went and physically led a revolt at Lake Cape Francis region of the North Colony. And then that's when he was killed by French planters um, in 17, sometime like in 1790 around then. But it was the act, y'all, and this is really important. In 2010, when there was the Haitian earthquake, Morgan, Pat Robinson, or Pat Roberts, this is how much I don't even give this man any respect, the evangelical preacher, he implied, which has been implied throughout history, both in academic settings, and Christian religious settings, supported by Black people, by the way, that Haiti somehow deserved what they got. Because of that night in August, he said they made a pact with the devil. And he said that the pact with the devil they made that night, which then resulted in their freedom, is then now the reason that Haiti is suffering so much today. Now, I'm going to break a little bit down for you so we could get into this conversation, Morgan. We, in fact, know uh, unequivocally that they did not make a pact with the devil. And, in fact, they were doing a ceremony to the goddess of love. And that they did at that Only ceremony. Only if you think the devil is white French colonizer. Look. So they made a back and you tear them down. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So I'm saying thank if you. that's what you think,
2: then yeah. That's <laughs>
1: so Yes. Because they yes. went and, and you know, what... skip over what happened. They went and tore them people.
0: Damn, oh, they no, I haven't like skipped over. It. It. I have I, it. I got the okay. detail. I got the detail. But <laughs> that's on. what I'm saying. The act of resistance, and this is. let This. I'm glad you said that, so we could get clear on this conversation. Because the act of resistance was not the Haitian Revolution, which we. Are, I'll get to and tell you what happened. The act of resistance was to fill Fatima herself going before the altar to the goddess of love as a voodoo priestess conjuring up the spirit of West Africa and saying, we are gonna have a revolution. That is actually the act of resistance that started the revolution. And we as black women on this call, when we are talking about the revolution that's happening on the streets, I want us to start to build our altars and start to understand who we're praying to. So that's why I was like, man, no, the act of resistance was Cecile, although we will get into what happened in the Haitian Revolution in just one second, Morgan. But I want to break down for any person on this call. I love every conversation, Morgan, that we do about religion, first of all. And you and I know, I was like, shoot, I should say Cecile until we do our Spiritual Warriors series, which we we're talking about doing in October, but I had to talk about her now. I love when we talk about religion because there is so there is a lot of tightness and there are a lot of people on this call who love us, who are praying for us to get the conversation right, not knowing that you or I know that there is no right or wrong conversation. And even as I was reading about this the voodoo traditions, in, which I'm going to talk about in a second, I was like, yeah, to the conversation we had about Kojit a couple of days back, and one of the viewers was like, "Well, some people just didn't believe." What I was saying is not that you needed to believe in Christianity, but that I felt like it was a privilege to not believe in anything. And I understood that. That and and Cecile Fatiman was one of the people. Morgan traditions, the traditions that were brought from West Africa, the traditions that were focused, by the way, on a reverence for our ancestors. And a worship of the vast kind of pantheon of deities that are celebrated and uplifted throughout West Africa. Those traditions accompanied the West Africans who were brought to the Americas as slaves and were eventually combined with the Western religions, especially Catholicism, that were pushed on slaves. That then birthed not only voodoo, not only hoodoo, not only Haitian voodoo, but Cuban Santeria, Brazilian Condomble, and a lot of other spiritual practices right now that are shunned by Black Christians, especially who do not understand that this is a spiritual religion and that these religions were just adopted like any other system. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, so I was like, we have to clear that up on this conversation because she was a voodoo priestess well, and she was a voodoo well, priestess what, who what, came to the altar. What we have
1: to say. Okay. But you also have to understand, well, first of all, it wasn't, it wasn't created. It's the exact same traditional religion that's practiced right here in Ghana all the time. So right. it wasn't even, re, it wasn't combined. I mean, synchronization is, is what you're talking about when African religion was combined with Catholicism to hide it from the slave masters. So when they yeah. thought we were praying to marry, we were, it was Oshun or, or Yemaya or whoever, Right which is, you know, the different elements of earth. And And I'm saying, but the religion is pure. The religion is what our ancestors practiced in addition to Islam and Christianity, right? Christianity predated slavery in in Africa because because Egypt because all you know, the Coptics, all sorts of things and Islam And just you
0: know. like Islam and Christianity, voodoo was used as resistance against the French colonial empire. It was and it was yeah. and the other yes. thing I was also, say, of, Vanessa. So, go ahead. Yeah.
1: The other thing I was going to say is we cannot skip over the intentional demonization of traditional African religion through exactly. Hollywood at the turn of the century, to, because white people were afraid of our spiritual might and power. And what they didn't yeah. understand, they demonized.
0: And so they, put including in Haiti, Morgan. Beliefs. By the way, from 1835 to 1987, the Haitian government itself banned Voodoo under laws that pro, like prohibited ritualistic practices.
1: Yeah, but I even think it's helpful. It is called voodoo it's in the French yeah. the Haitian Creole. I even think it's helpful to call it African traditional religion, because if that's the case, yes. they also banned it in America with the Virginia Code. We right. couldn't play the drums. Yes. We couldn't gather in, in public places by rivers. These are all ceremonies that we know. We baptize each other in the river because that's African. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's African. And the for these we, conversations, my sister says I want it all to call the time. This- but Morgan, for these conversations, My, I want to call it voodoo because the Catholic and Protestant churches specifically launched movements that were very I well. No, I'm funded. not suggesting okay, we don't. Yeah, I'm yeah. making the parallel.
1: I'm making the parallel yeah. that all of it, whether it's Santeria, Condomble, whatever, all of these are African traditional religions that express themselves through colonial languages, right? So it's Portuguese yeah. Condomble because that's Portuguese. It's voodoo because that's French or that's French Creole. So I'm saying like. It was called something else, which might be called Pentecostal, because we did it the <laughs> exact same way that they did in, exactly. in Cuba or in, in Haiti. So all I'm saying is that we have all experienced religious persecution when we tried to practice the religious rites and ceremonies of our ancestors which is speaking in tongues which is dancing in the spirit which is playing the tambourine which is playing the drums it is not different and if we could just come together understanding that we believe in the creative power of love that we believe in the creative power of community and those are the underpinnings of african religion no matter what your language articulation or doctrine is how we praise and how we worship my sister says who's the most christian person i know how we worship is cultural it's cultural And so we just have to understand that and appreciate it and a little bit have some grace for other people when you don't understand, because most of it is just fear. And I'm speaking from first person. It's just fear. When you don't know, you're like, whoa! don't be doing that. And fear is a (laughs) campaign, Morgan.
0: And fear fear has been one of the most effective campaigns throughout history to suppress liberation. And it's presented to us in such effective ways. So I loved everything that you just said. So understanding and taking away that we do not have fear on this conversation, Cecile Fatiman, a voodoo priestess, presided over a ceremony, Morgan, along with Bougman, in which they literally said that visions came to them and that was actually the start of the Haitian Revolution. The first slave rebellion took place October of 1790 and that slave rebellion, 350 mulattoes, rebelled against plantation owners. In 1791, probably the most notable, because by the way, this revolution happened over a 12-year period, a 12-year fiercely fought, brutal, by force, where led by Toussaint Louverture, where Haitians, and by the way, Toussaint Louverture, who a military leader and former slave, who gained control of several areas and earned, by the way, even the initial support of French agents, but who, by the way, was a slick ass strategist who understood never mind Haiti, never mind Britain. I understand I'm, I'm a finesse, y'all, but I understand about the revolution and the blackness of my people. Like he was a brilliant, brilliant strategist. So, over a 12 year or, or like a seven to 12 year period, there were these brutal battles, Morgan, and the Haitians were fierce. And those battles spread fear throughout the Americas. And everyone started to say, do you see what is happening in Haiti and this could happen here? And so, of course, yes, they started to even crack down, but they could not crack down against the Haitian spirit, Morgan. And even in December of 1801, Napoleon Bonaparte, who was trying to maintain his control of the island and was attempting to restore his regimen He was, like, trying to gather everyone he could but understood that there was – he tried, like, an armistice. He tried to talk with the United States and, like, get them to come. He even got them to come. And, like, they were, like, enforcing a bunch of stuff. But they could not stop the revolution. Toussaint Louvert himself was actually captured, Morgan, and he died on April seventh, eighteen 1803. But Haiti, Haiti stood strong. And they were able to gain their independence and Morgan, I really want to get into this, they were able to gain their independence and become the first black republic. We know, of course, that even the United States officially refused to recognize Haiti up until Abraham Lincoln in 1862, along with other great colonial powers. They literally have tried at every avenue to crush Haiti, and they've tried to crush them, specifically crush For as an example to the world of what what can happen, by the way, through economic sanctions that told Haiti, by the way, okay, you are free, but you must pay us back for this destruction of this war, something to the tune of current like $21 billion, which the humble, hardworking Haitian people scraped together, by the way, Morgan, and did pay back. And now there's a conversation around like, france is tripping which they are this isn't even a question for me and we must denounce i think everything that france is doing probably at this point until they get right with haiti and probably that includes i don't travel i'd like we gotta we got to put our neck on the foot of the people who is holding our people back yeah to underscore
1: what you said haiti was the first black Like they this were after the age of colonization of course, all of Africa were empires. We know that before. But in the age of colonization, they were the first ones to rebel and create a black republic. So they're the first black nation. They call themselves Wakanda when you go there. They're like, listen, this is it. But for the rest of the world, saw them as rebels, Vanessa. That's what they saw them as rebels. And how are you going to charge people to pay back to their enslavers damages? <laughs> that's crazy so that you can acknowledge by these League of Nations and United Nations, you know, all these different world entities. i say we don't need to be acknowledged, but, you know, trade relationships, all sorts of things. So Haiti just worked hard and paid the money back, but there's still ripple effects of that payment because there was borrowed, there's all sorts of things. So uh, Haiti is still in tremendous debt and right now is one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. And it's directly tied to that debt. Anytime you hear anybody utter, that Haiti is the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. I want you to remember that Haiti was the first free black nation and that they were sanctioned for demanding their liberation by the whole world. The whole world punished them financially and they are still repaying that debt and they are doing so with honor because they're just like, we're going to pay it off. I'm just saying like, that is such an injustice that you would sanction people to pay back their colonizers for any destruction for the fight for their lives. So don't believe this narrative. And with that economic poverty, I want you to think about cultural richness. Think that Haiti is Wakanda. I want you to understand that all of our heritage is right there on that little island. I want you to understand that the people are the proudest, most beautiful, most educated people that you know. Don't believe the images that you see on TV. They are a lie. It is propaganda. Yes. It is it is a lie. Haiti is such a beautiful country. And
0: visit, like visit Haiti. Don't and, be prob- and probably if we all yeah. take our parade, if we all take our girls trips from Paris to Haiti and help them with some tourism dollars and build up some infrastructure, I'm just saying, then we could listen. We could even look
1: restaurants in the whole Caribbean and the finest so men fancy. and the
0: finest yeah. and the finest listen. men. I'm just letting y'all know, like like. <laughs> But we ain't gonna Closer. go down on that conversation. We ain't gonna go down that path of this conversation, Morgan, because Closer. I want to end with a Q and A from a woman who is on the line with us right now. Hopefully, she's out walking as well. But if not, don't worry, Gina, because you come from the most walkinest family of walkinest families within the Girl Trek community. <laughs> they, they are the pages. The pages of Philadelphia, Houston, Los Angeles, St. Louis, y'all are all over. But the pages are a bedrock family within the Girl Trek nation. It's a group of, I don't know how many sisters Paige, Faye, and Susie have, but there's like five sisters and Grandma Nan. They walk and organize all over the country. And Morgan, as we have been talking about Africa and the diaspora this week, which I have loved, I hope everybody has loved these stories. We're going to end tomorrow with one final story. One of the biggest reflections is that to know our history, to know where we come from, to know our past puts us in a position to activate on every dream, aspiration, and ideas. But we have an opportunity to take it a step further. Gina Page is the founder of African Ancestry. Morgan, you already did your DNA with African Ancestry. And when I tell y'all every woman on this call, like Gina, I want to bring you in and do a QA. I don't want to answer for you. So let's, we have 10 minutes with you, Gina. Say hello to everyone who's on the phone and just tell us where you're walking, where you're at, how you know about the Girl Trek community. Please introduce yourself.
3: Hey, everybody. I'm Gina Page. And yes, I am Grandma Nan's daughter, and Susie, and Faye, and Barbara, and Kelly, and Kathy's niece. And I have known about Girl Tech since the beginning. I walked this morning, so I wanted to be stationary for this call. (laughs) But it's I understand. It's an honor and
0: it's a pleasure to have you, Gina. It really, really is. I can actually kick off our first question. And then because Morgan actually, especially, uh, and she's, look, I thought we were going to do a live reveal of the results. We got, we got something we got to talk about in a second. But, but Gina, can you tell everyone what is African Ancestry, how you got started, and why you think it's so important for the women on this call to start to study our genealogy?
3: I think it's important for the women on this call to start to study their genealogy, because if you don't know where you're from, you cannot know who you are. And as Black women and Black people around the diaspora, we are the original victims of identity theft. It's really just that simple. And, and that void that we experience in not knowing our names, not knowing our languages, not having connection to our ancestors, and really not even knowing who our family members are, impacts us in ways that we don't even imagine. So African ancestry, we're the pioneers of genetic ancestry tracing for black people around the world. And it's our mission to transform the way we view ourselves as black people and the way we view Africa So that when we're having these conversations, all of us are equally as versed as the two of you when we're talking about different things Africa related. We make those connections through DNA. And so we are the only company that can take your DNA and trace, (laughs) you all have the daughters of campaign, who you are the daughter of, the daughter of, the daughter of, the daughter of, all the way back 500 to 2,000 years using DNA that we got from our mothers. And we can place it, when it's African, because it's not always African, we can place it in a present-day African country and ethnic group or tribe. So that's what we do. And that's why it's so important for us as, as women and people in the diaspora. And what we do for ourselves extends to our entire family line. Yeah. Can
1: I chime in, Vanessa? Yes. Let me just tell you, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank you for debunking all the myths. Thank you for your visioning, your own active resistance and starting this company. You know, I remember Faye was talking about it a long time ago. Vanessa, do you remember that? And she was like, My yes. family is doing this DNA. And I was just like, I don't know if black people know how to do DNA. I know that's ignorant, but I was just like, I don't know. Why don't you come through? And then I saw all these celebrities getting their stuff. I was like, if I don't support our people, I done did all this ancestry.com stuff. I need to do AfricanAncestry.com. And I, I went on. I was like, okay, what can I afford? I did the maternal one. I'm going to come back and do the paternal one because I need to know where my daddy's from. And I was just waiting, y'all. I didn't scrape my cheek. I didn't put it in there. I was waiting. I was waiting for your black scientists to come together. Boop, 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 boop. I got the most <laughs> beautiful portfolio. I feel like I got my papers for real. It ain't no freedom papers. It's ancestry papers. I feel like I got my story about, like, this little island that I'm from off the coast of Cameroon. They were seafaring people. They fought back. I mean, like, I got some real information, and I just feel so rooted and grounded. So now I'll be walking around, Donna, and they be trying to question me. Like, where are you from? I'd be like, Cameroon. And then they don't even say because I got conviction and I got my papers. That's what I'm saying. So I just really deeply appreciate what you have done. I really appreciate what you have done. And if anybody wants, I was supposed to do the reveal. You're right, Vanessa. But I was like, can something be for me? Just like my DNA? Can it just be for me? <laughs> <laughs> I just want my DNA for me. I want to have my own reveal. So, but Vanessa, you should do the reveal. You should come to God. You should do the reveal. We should have like a ceremony. That's good. And I'm,
0: I'm going to do it all. <laughs> I'm going to do it all. I'm not even kidding. I, I did, I actually have a question. I did do Ancestry.com and I got my information and I, some of you have heard maybe on a previous bootcamp, I even checked the box that said like, keep my information like, like I guess semi-public in case like somebody could connect with me and someone did connect with me and she ended up being my sister was adopted and figured out through me doing ancestry.com and her doing ancestry.com that my dad was her dad and she was able to at least put some pieces together of her adoption story because part of our story by the way in our ancestry is not even just what was lost going across the oceans by the way like our papas were rolling stones our families are all like you know what i'm saying like there was some real stuff that's been happening like displaced fleeing the terrors etc that make it hard for some of us to put our stories together but i have a question for you as that relates to that gina there are a lot of people have a hesitation about the DNA and giving away their data specifically because they don't know what's going to happen with it. I was like, well, Mm -hmm. what happens with it is a girl figures out something about her adoption story. To me, it's worth it. But I understand that people have hesitation. What do you feel about like the data just to make people feel more comfortable with the idea of participating in this and learning their story?
3: Well, I feel several different ways about the data. But the first thing I'll say is every company is different. And so I agree when you're looking to find relatives or fifth and sixth cousins or health traits, there are DNA companies for that. And as part of that, they'll give you your ancestry as well. But what they give you is a very broad swath of the continent that tells you basically that you're West African. And so for us, it was very important. We know that we're from West Africa. We know that we're not 100 percent European. That doesn't matter. What matters is what are the traditions and the values and the beliefs and the cultural practices that our foremothers and forefathers practice? So for us to do that, we have a much larger database of African lineages, of African DNA, because we're answering that question for African people than the other companies. We are also the only company that does not sell or share your personal or genetic information. So that's my position on the data. When you come to AfricanAncestry.com, your information is destroyed once a result is determined. Now that's a two-sided coin, right? Because that means that if we wanted to give you information that could help your health, we can't do that because we've destroyed the DNA. And so it really just depends on your personal level of comfort with the company that you've chosen. But when you choose African ancestry, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. We are in the business of being black, just like you are at Girl trek And so we understand the community's hesitations, the community's concerns, because we are the community. And so that's where we stand on the data issue.
0: Wow, that was so helpful. I really, really appreciate that, girl. Look, you you got it covered. She was like, no, I'm out here. And I know stuff. And I know stuff. I love it. I well, love it's it. been
3: 17 years, 17 years of helping transform Black people's lives, just like you guys have been in the game for a very long time. And so, you know, we, we would not have lasted this long if we didn't respect Black people. It's just that simple.
0: Yeah, yeah. So tell people, how do they find you if they're interested in doing their DNA? They're inspired by this conversations that we've been having this week, especially around the diaspora.
3: I love that you're having these conversations and thank you because it takes a village of all of us to do our individual parts and our collective parts as organizations to educate our communities. And if you are interested in learning more about your mother's 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 line was before Mississippi, before California, before Jamaica, before Haiti, before Cuba, Brazil, New York, then go to AfricanAncestry.com, AfricanAncestry.com, and we, we can help you with that.
0: I love that, Gina. I love that. This is a great place for us. Hold to on, to, Gina. Yeah.
1: Come, come back to Ghana because then we can start a camera room. Because I didn't learn too much about my people on that little island of Bioko Island, where some <laughs> stuff is going down. Gina, bring the cameras. Bring Erica Badu. Bring all the celebrities back home. We gotta save my people. That's all I'm saying. You're not telling me too much information. <laughs> You're telling me too much information.
3: I'm Thank ready. You. I'm Listen. We yeah. have African Ancestry Family Reunions where we're going home as soon as the world opens up. We're going to Cameroon and Burkina Faso oh, and Ghana funny. and Sierra Leone. So we're coming. That's a brilliant idea.
1: African Ancestry yes. Family Reunions yes. is a brilliant idea. Good luck with that. We can support it anyway. that makes sense. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. All right, much. y'all.
0: We are going to end back, Morgan, where we started, by the way. So just to bring her voice and her meditations. Toto herself actually had like the spirit of a voodoo priestess and, and really was a spiritual woman. And I want to go back today, Morgan, and so that we can carry the hopes and the dreams and the thoughts that we've had for today's conversation, for this week, for this call, carry them through the rhythms of her voice. So, Ebony, if you could play Toto again, I would really much appreciate it as we say goodbye and see everyone tomorrow.
2: Deo, na L'argent est en plus Qu'avec tu es payant La case payant